Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. Culture is a decision on an individual level to adhere to the values or not. And it's often started as a grand global process. One way to think about it is it's done at a wholesale level, but it's really a retail project. It's one-on-one conversations and decisions and everybody and, and behavior change. And that's, um, you know, I've looked at a lot of culture change plans and they're all grandiose and giant, these things that are going to happen at a very high level. But the individual employee is where the change is going to happen or it's not going to happen. Well, to use a baseball analogy, the Red Sox would have won it all that year if Bill Buckner hadn't let the ball go through his glove and and, and his legs. Yeah, it's it's each individual making a decision. And I think that's why... It's exhausting. Culture change, it's it it takes a long time because not only that, but you know, I I I'm a guitar string. I'm in tune for a while and then I'm I'm not. And I have to it, it's it's constant. It's an ongoing thing. And it's not, hey, we did the big rollout and we got posters and we announced the culture change and here's where we're going. And okay, everybody back to work. And you know, it's it just um, I've I've never seen a culture change in less than five years. And it's usually a lot more. And it's usually, sometimes it's never ending. But I think it comes down to, John, what you just said. It's not addressing the individual's struggle with change. Because we all hate it. I'm speaking for all humans now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. We, we don't like change. At, at, at the base level. It's true. Um, yeah. But we we'd love others to change. You know, that'd be great. If everybody else changed, my life would be great because I wouldn't have to. But it's that basic notion that we are all going to have to change to make this work is, as opposed to the message from leadership, which is, all right, here's what you all have to change to make this work. I'm fine. I'm, I'm you know, your grand leader. That's, that's where I think the real crux of the story is, because where does the change start? And how often is an issue like this delegated to somebody who really has no full authority to implement it? It's It turns into uh, an add-on, a peripheral, it, something beside the um, priority of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and it's subject to the urgent things that pop up. Yes. And it ends up being nobody's full-time job. I, I think, yes, I'd agree with that. Um, what I was going to say was, I, th- I think, uh, as you said that, Linda, I think one of the issues I've always had in changing, I suppose, behavior, I suppose it is behavior ultimately, but changing the way that, owners think about things as being able to prove to them it'll actually help the bottom line. And some of these things are not provable. 
because they're going to take a while. And so they're not ready to wait for that. And that's the biggest enigma about all of this. Um, how do we tackle that one? Because there is no, you know, the enlightened ones will see it and the enlightened ones are doing it anyway <laughs> because they don't have to be proved to. They know instinctively that that's the right way that their company should go and they want to be seen to be doing the right thing because they believe in it. I have a person I work for here who's very much like that. But there's so many others that aren't. And and uh, and it's not always their fault. It's the pressures they have on them to deliver or they're out of a job. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think this is a tough one. Uh, I don't have a ready answer at all. I wish I did. Well, if I can drift back to uh, the days of transactional analysis back in the, in the 70s, what was learned is how often people are not in a relationship, but they're in a cross transaction. They have different viewpoints. They have different values. They have different agendas. They have different attention intentions. And then you throw them into a business where people are supposed to work collaboratively. And all of this is going on in the background. And the awareness of it, well, it's not only it's challenging, it's scary. Because when you try to fix this stuff, anybody who's ever been in a serious relationship in life, when you try to fix it all yourself without an objective third-party vantage point to give you feedback, you know how difficult it is. And you see the challenge that consultants have. Hey, what is the alternative? I mean, we are inclined to not change. We resist everything that looks like hard, ambiguous work. So what is the outcome if we don't? Do we still get by? Well, I think that's the attitude, which is put off tomorrow what you can't do today. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, you know, there are a couple of answers that I that I think, and it's it's in the world of the interpersonal intelligence, social intelligence, emotional intelligence, and particularly conversational intelligence in businesses, because conversations are the mechanism whereby any change happens in and among and around people. And the fine work that Judith Glazer did, it's unfortunate she's not around anymore to continue the work, but understanding that an effective conversation not only can change the workings of the brain, but it definitely affects the workings of people. And we don't practice those kinds of things. We don't, we don't learn how to effectively communicate. And that's part of the organic or the gris within an organization that I believe must be addressed is how we talk with each other. And John, are there some, mm -hmm. you know, some basic tenets of that, of that work? that you can share that, that, you know, so here's a couple of things that everybody should bear in mind w during a conversation. Sure. You know, she, she had three levels uh, and, you know, the, 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 first level is just the little banter that goes 
across all day long. The second level is the transactional, where we're not really getting to the root of anything because it's scary and we we don't uh, we don't want to do it or we don't know how to do it. But she talked about third level conversations, which get at the meaning and the objective of the task at hand. What is the meaning of this business? What is the purpose of this organization? And are people able to talk and ask questions about the nature of, of that business? Because if you ask, or, and Peter knows this, and Ron, I know you know this, if you ask the right question and you're prepared to deal with the answer effectively, then you can move forward. But that doesn't happen because we are stuck at level two conversations because that's what we're comfortable with. And anybody that asks something that requires a great deal of thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. And I've just described our society, our world in a little nutshell. We don't want to ask the right questions because we're scared of the answers. And I think a lot of business is conducted at, at that, if not all, at that transactional level, yep. which is appropriate for a lot of what a business does. I mean, that's really all you need. But when you start talking about making fundamental changes or addressing, you know, how do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Why do we do it the way we do it? Now, transactional doesn't work anymore because you just kind of go round and round. And then a Kind of a reverse example, I just came across this story um, about the head of General Motors in the, I believe it was in the, either the 30s or 40s, but he had all the senior people in a room and they were talking about something they were going to do and there was violent agreement. Everybody was on board. And he said, well, I suggest we adjourn this meeting because we're all in agreement and we should go off and think about this a little bit more until we get some other ideas in the room. And I thought that was a, a really, I'd never heard anything like that before. That was a really radical way to approach it. Cause I think most of us, if everyone agrees with us, good, let's wrap it up. We're done. We can all go forward. And he wasn't willing to do that. He wanted to challenge it a little bit more. Or he wanted to put off making the decision. That could be true, although what I've read about him is he wasn't exactly against making decisions. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you could be right. I think, you know, if we um, that could happen. But, yeah, we've all been in meetings that get adjourned with nothing decided except to have another meeting, which I think we can all predict how that will go. And and also it's a great way to not make any mistakes is just never quite decide to do anything. Yep. Well, how many how many sales meetings? are conducted where the, the prospect seemingly agrees with everything the salesperson said. And the salesperson is very confident and goes away thinking, I got a deal. I've got a sale. And they never hear from the guy again. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's for that very phenomenon that you talked about. We reach a level of comfort. Well, let's stay at that level. Let's, let's be comfortable, mm -hmm. but we may not even be in the right planet of the solar system. No, but nobody has to change. Yeah. That's, that's the beauty. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll, there, it, it, I, I think it's part of some human nature that, you know, we don't necessarily want to be disagreeable. So if somebody's trying to sell us something, 
We know we're not going to say yes, but we don't say no. We just listen and, you know, nod and agree and go along. And, you know, it's, um, you know, polite, being nice as opposed to, and I, I had a, a really good salesperson tell me once, this was a guy who um, was making a lot of phone calls. And he said, the greatest thing you can do for me is to say no quickly because then I can move on to the yeah. next person. Yeah. Um, and I always took that ever since then, you know, on phone, you know, if you get a, a call or somebody's talking, if I know I'm not going to say yes, I need to say no sooner, um, which is a little uncomfortable, but essentially you're doing them a favor. Well, even and, if it's not a, even if it's not a, uh, an outright, no, look for an objection so that you can find out what the real need is mm -hmm. and find out what the real problems are. And, and you, you know, and in, in all the work you guys have done is employees don't have the safety, the psychological safety within the organization to say what they really think. Mm -hmm. it, do you think that's changing? And I'd ask all of us on that with this notion of people less willing to stay um, and having more. I don't want to call them demands, but more things that they are looking for in a company. Do you think that they are more willing to speak up or do they still not speak up? They just leave. So I think uh, let me leap on that because um, I have a daughter that's just been going through that and she's 23 tomorrow. And um, she was pretty um, okay to push back on the original salary she was offered. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that at her age. Mm -hmm. No way. Um, and so I, I, so that's my market research of one person. But um, I, I do think it's an indication. I asked her about that. I said, do, you know, do kids your age do that? Quite open to that. She said, oh, yeah. You know, we always think that's the opening opening salvo. And, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I'm not being unreasonable. But I think so she actually came up with a gambit with a bit of help around the salary plus some living expenses and, uh, medical and stuff like that so it was a package that they could then you know it wasn't a demand it was hey can we talk about this here's some areas that because i'm going to be doing this i'd prefer to have this and i want to move to colorado that's gonna be expensive to live maybe if you can't give me it in the salary you can give it me in a housing allowance so uh, it became uh, uh, so i think to answer your question Ron, i think what i'm seeing is much more um directness about being able to wanting to do that um but also i think uh, people don't want the things that they we wanted. Um, our, our things were confined basically to salary, and in this country particularly, medical benefits. In other countries, people didn't have to worry about that, so don't. <laughs> but uh, but that's a whole another rabbit trail which we won't get down. But uh, but those are the two things that matter in this country more than anything. And in fact, people will take a less of a salary, as you know, to get a good medical benefit, uh, depending what age they're on. There are more things now that people want. They want uh, freedom to, to to work either remotely or hybrid. Big thing now. We've all read about it, but it, it's bigger than salary now in many ways. Um, they want the balance of life. We've heard about that, but I'm seeing it being played out now. Uh, and people we've been trying to hire here and have successfully, by the way, but we've hired somebody that we wanted here that we've hired out of New York. She's going to be fully remote, but she's got the capabilities that we thought, well, you know, we're going to weigh this up. And 
uh, we'd love to have somebody actually working out of Minnesota, at least, <laughs> not another state. But um, she asked for things that we felt were reasonable and that uh, would fit fit the chemistry of how we work. And by the way, did meet our core values. So I think um, I think people are asking for more things rather than just salary now. And that's that is what's upset the apple cart with a lot of traditional bosses and owners who have not had to face that situation before. And, it, and at the risk of misinterpreting our friend Terry Wu's um, three points about stress is people want control, they want predictability, and they want to see progress. Right. And those three things are all, you mentioned those, all in those, um, you know, when, when people ask about um, hypos and things like that, that's about progress, I think. Um, people want to feel a certain amount of autonomy that can I make a decision about when and where I work? Yep. Um, and, you know, and I don't have a good example for predictability, but I'm sure it's there. Somewhere. Well, that's what trust is. Trust is essentially having a pretty good idea how the other person is going to act. Mm -hmm. And in the, in, in the sense of, of, uh, you know, you're interviewing for a job and you're, you're, you're really testing out how safe is it here? If you're not asking the kinds of questions that test that you're, you're probably going to be disappointed in what you find out. If you, if you join, you know, asking questions that deal with, an understanding of how do people react in certain situations. Yeah, yeah I, I think predictability uh, uh, is culture, which is where what John's alluding to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want to throw in one other thing that just struck me when you said that, John, is Larry Wilson used to talk about trusting intentions, mm -hmm. that my behavior may not, land very well but if you trust that my intentions were good that i mm -hmm. had your best interest at heart then i can forgive i can be forgiven my behavioral mistakes and i always thought that was a really kind of important part of trust is that do i trust your intentions because we're all going to do and say things that we that isn't our intent was not to land the way it did but if i have that trust in you then i can we can have a conversation about that, 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 that sounded a little weird, but I trust that your intentions were good. And to me, that's a core part of any cultures were your intentions to live to the values, but you just yeah. didn't execute very well. You're buying slack. You're buying a, a little bit of wiggle room because mm -hmm. like you said, we all make the mistakes. We're not yeah. perfect. Yeah. And forgiveness and, and Speak for yourself, John, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and forgiveness and the ability to um, rebound from issues, to me, is is always the, the sign of a good culture. Is that it's not that we're perfect, it's that we, we get up when we fall down. And that people help us back up and don't go, well, you fell down, you're, you're dead to us. You know, leave them behind. Um, that we really, that to me is trust in action. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you all hear something different than I hear, especially lately. But lately, I hear a lot of talk about culture. I hear 
thoughts about, well, we've got a great culture, we're doing this, we're doing that. But when it comes right down to being able to express values, dialogue about values, if it's done at all, I am not seeing a lot of clarity. And I'm wondering if you've seen other things, and especially those of you who are working directly with uh, uh, teams of any sort right now, uh, how do you address values and how do you make them alive within an organization so that people can converse about them? If Going back to what John was saying, if conversation is really where the enlightenment occurs. That's a really good question. Um, so here's, as you were talking through that, here's how I would answer it. I, um, <laughs> as John said, nobody's perfect, so I don't have a perfect answer. But I have a, a perspective on it, which is um, through experience here, actually, in particular. But um, we have talked the core values. We haven't got them in the you know, on the walls yet, but that's the next step. That only goes so far, as we all know. You can talk about them, but how do you make sure they permutate into the way that you hire and have serious discussions with people and or ultimately fire them? Um, so that's that's one level. Uh, the other is um, that you you need to take, you need to have team building. Core values and having core values alone won't, work what we found is that team building exercise and i don't mean going out and pulling ropes and you know climbing up the side of mountains and all that that may work for you with some companies but we actually have a team building i run two of them team building health quiz thing where everybody fills out a questionnaire and it gives you an idea on a rating scale of where you are as a team we go through it together as a team and talk about where the strengths and weaknesses are of the team and not individual but as a team together we hope you enjoyed this episode of conversation street for more information or to submit a question email success authorities at inquire at success authorities.com